All right, good morning. You look good today. That is an intro to the series which most of you are familiar with. Maybe you've watched it uh, called The Chosen. And why are we showing that? Because on Wednesday nights, beginning this Wednesday night from 6 to 7.30, we're going to show The Chosen. Now, here's what's cool about it. If you have a kindergarten through fifth grader, you can bring your child and check them in the children's wing for Step Up. Uh, They have a great program for your kids. Or if you have students from 6th through 12th grade, you can take them over to the student center and have a great time in youth services. And you as an adult can come in here and either watch this movie or take a nap. There's your options. Okay? And you know that's good. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. It's going to be a good time. And uh, we want to encourage you to have your children and your students as part of that. But also we want to invite you. It's going to be great. Now, there's some controversy around this series. You may have heard it. You know, oh, I'm not going to watch that because it's funded by Mormons. Anybody heard that? Raise your hand. Okay. I don't care who funded it. It's good. It's about Jesus. Okay. In fact, let me tell you this. I don't play the lottery. I don't encourage you to play the lottery. But if you do and you win, if you win big, bring it to the church. This will be the money launderer. Okay. We will take the money from the devil. We'll use it for great things. And that's what we're doing uh, with this movie. So come and join us. It's going to be a good time. Uh, You look good today. Look really good today. Parking lot's full, and uh, we'll have some arrangements to help you out with that next week. Glad that you are here. Look at the person next to you and just say, hey, you look good. Now, let me give you a a caveat to that. If the person next to you is not your spouse, just say hi. Okay? (laughs) But look to the person next to you and say, hey, you look good today. You look good today. You look good. In the front row, y'all looking good right there. All right, so we are embarking on a brand new journey today. We finished the first half of Exodus, the first 20 chapters. And it was incredible, nine months. And so today we're launching into an incredible book from 2,000 years ago. We're going to go back in time to a book of history that's emphatically true. These are, these are, not, uh, these are not just stories It's not myth. These are factual. Anything in the Bible is factual and true, all of it, okay? And in a world that wants to discredit it, you can just hold on to the fact that God's word is eternally true. God knew what would be be written in his word before the words were ever penned on parchment. God knew that on this very day, we would be looking at God's word and it would still be true. God knows that a billion, billion years from now, his word will be still incredibly and uh, infallibly true true. In fact, it's so true that John would say Jesus, the Son of God, is the Word made flesh. And you can't be the Word made flesh if the Word's full of errors and problems. And so it's not. It's just true. And because it's true, and because of what happened in this book called Acts that we're going to be looking at, you are here today as a product of that, a reflection of what happened in this incredible book of Acts. Did you know that? 2,000 years later, if there were no acts, uh, the actions that we're going to talk about, we wouldn't be here. There would be no ecclesia, no church. And so you are here because of the book that we're going to study. I just think that's kind of cool. So t- sometimes it's kind of good to look back and, and see where we came from, right? And, and so that's what we're going to learn. Now, in this book, uh, we're, we're titling the whole series, Can I Get a Witness? Everybody say, Can I Get a Witness? Yeah, sounded good. Let's say it again. Can I get a witness? You see, at the end of it, at the end of this book, you'll learn a lot of things that you didn't know. You'll get clarity on some things that you maybe were confused about or never really had clarity about. There'll be some things that we simply won't know because God just won't grant us that ability to know just yet. But at the end of it, I want you to know what the what the 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 story, what, what, what the goal is behind the story when the Holy Spirit of God inspired the writing of this book. It is that God wants you, everybody say me, 
Look at the person next to you and say he's talking about you. God wants you to be a witness. Now, he saves you to spend eternity with you. But until that eternity in heaven begins, he wants you to testify, to be a witness for him. Because if Jesus comes into your life, if you have a real encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll change your life. It'll change your eternal destiny, and you need to talk about it. And I'm excited. I'm excited about what God is doing in the church, and I'm excited about what God is doing in this church. It's his church. It's all his church. Jesus said he's going to build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm excited to be on Team Jesus because in the end, we win. Amen? Now, in this book, Can I Get a Witness, uh, we're going to see 10 things today. I hope to show you 10 things today. You're saying, oh, we're going to be late for lunch. Okay? No, not, not if you listen fast, okay? We're gonna get there. So number one, on the back of your life guide, point number one or, or lesson number one is the theme verse of Acts. What's the theme verse? You see, every book in the Bible, theologians believe have, have a, uh, a theme verse. Every book has a theme verse. And that verse is kind of what everything is built around. And, and so most believe this is the verse that's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, in the book, there's 28 chapters and 1,007 verses. And there's much information in here that is just really off the chain cool. Some stuff that we're going to talk about in a minute that's just really difficult and fun and exciting and controversial. And we're going we're gonna to dissect and dive into all that. But out of all of the 1,007 verses, there's a verse that just rings out. And it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. Now in the following 27 chapters, this unfolds. Verse number eight gets legs, it gets feet. And it begins to travel to their world. And I want you to know that 2000, this is so cool. 2,000 years ago, God was thinking about us on this day. He was thinking about our world. Even though the screws are coming loose and the sheet metal's flying off and everything's turning upside down, God was thinking about the world we live in when he said the furthest parts of the world. You see, from the Middle East to these, these few, these dozen disciples of Jesus, he would take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the farthest parts of the world. And that's why you're here today. It's so cool that we're a product of this. We're a product of some guys and some ladies over time who were filled with the Holy Spirit, who were willing to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's important about that. Looking forward, we don't know what the future holds. We're going to talk about the return of Christ, and I think it's soon. We're going to talk about that. But until Jesus comes back, he wants you to be a witness. Why? Because there's still people who live in the furthest part of the world. There's still people who have not heard the gospel. They may have heard about the church. They may have heard the name Jesus. They may have heard about ministries in the church. But all that doesn't save people. They may have read the Bible. The gospel the Bible says in Romans says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those that believe you see and you carry that in you and God has called you and commissioned you and his desire for you is that you simply be a witness can I get a witness everybody say can I get a witness that's what God's wondering so Jesus one can I get a witness you, you got a big crowd in your church this morning you know he's, that's a that's a good looking bunch God thinks you're beautiful 
But he's, through the beauty, he's saying, can I get a witness out of you guys? Okay, can I get somebody who's willing to stand up and say, man, God is good. Jesus has radically saved me, forgiven my sins, building me a heaven. One day he's gonna come and get me. That deserves a witness and a testimony. Amen? Amen. Now, everything that happened in here is, it moves us to this day. So point number two, when did this book get written? What is the time of Acts? Well, we're a little uncertain because often in the Bible, it doesn't tell us a date. Everything we do now has a date on it, a, a, a month, a day, and a year. We don't have dates like that typically in the Bible. So historically, Bible books are dated by the events that are going on in the time referenced to in that particular book. And so when we look at it through that lens, um, they come up with the idea that the book of Acts was probably written or penned about 65 AD. Now, let's unpack that a little. Although we don't have dates, we've got a person who changed the whole calendar. You see, pre-Jesus' birth, everything is BC, right? Before Christ. Everything after Jesus' birth, up till today, we, are at, we, we live in 2023 AD. Ado Domini, the year of our Lord. Jesus came from heaven. He rocked this world. Let me just say this. You may not know Jesus personally as your Savior. You may know some historical facts about Jesus, but you just don't know what to do with him. You may know what the church, a little bit about the church. You may have heard the gospel. You may not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You may have all these beliefs about Jesus, but let me tell you something. Jesus came from heaven as God in the flesh, the incarnation of God. And he lived on this life for 30 years, a perfect life, only to qualify him to die on a cross for you. That's pretty impressive. But on the third day, he rose from the dead and he changed everything. He rocked this world. Listen to me, 2,000 years later, this world is still rocking. He's still doing stuff. He's still saving people. He's still changing lives. He's still preparing our place in heaven. Jesus changed everything, okay? And so this book is about the impact that Jesus did and will ultimately have on this world. So when I was preparing to preach through Exodus, I started looking for commentaries. Well, it's just not very helpful. There's just not a lot of commentaries on Exodus. Not many great preachers have written commentaries. Not many theologians have spent much time. I mean, I found a few and we navigated through it successfully, had a great time, learned a lot of stuff. So then I prepare, I start preparing to preach through the book of Acts. I start looking for commentaries. Oh man, you could fill up a library with what people have written on Acts. Some really great stuff. And so Daryl Bach is a professor of theology at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he says this about the book of Acts. He says this book was written over a span of 30 years. And in those 30 years, he writes from the time that Jesus ascended to heaven, um, 30 years into the first the early church describing how we got here, how the church was birthed and, and how the Holy Spirit filled it up and how it began to spread around the world. And he says that a couple of reasons out of many that we believe it's about 65 AD, about 30 years after Jesus got on a cloud and went back to heaven is because in the late 60s, about 68 or 69 AD, the apostle Paul was martyred, okay? There's no record of that. And he traveled, the author traveled with Paul. 
Also in 70 AD, something crazy happened. Um, the temple in and Jerusalem was destroyed, 70 AD. Big event, okay? No record of it. And, and so based on that, along with other things, we're saying about 65 AD. So what we have in this book is about 30 years, the first 30 years of the birth of the church and the early growth of the church. And 2,000 years later, we're here to talk about it. Now, number three, who wrote this thing? We know the theme, verse. We know um, when we got it. Uh, what about the author of the book of Acts? Who wrote the thing? Well, this book is a, actually a sequel. It's a part of another book. It's volume two of a two-part series, okay? Now, the first book, the prequel, is in the Gospels. The same author is one of the Gospels. Is the same author of the book of Acts. Book number one, volume one, the prequel, um, is provided as a rich and detailed historical account of the work and the words and the life of the one who founded Christianity, which would be who? Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what Luke is. Okay, and, and the second, the sequel, volume number two, is a complex first-hand record of what Jesus would do through his church empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, when you open up your Bible, your Bible may say Acts of the Apostles. And that's not unfair or untrue because there are some actions described in there by the apostles. Not all the apostles, predominantly just a few. But really, the, the title of it is the actions of Jesus from heaven through the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. But that's too much to call the title, so they just call it Acts of the Apostles. Okay? Now, that's what it is. We're gonna, that's what we're going to learn. What happens next in the life of the people group that God has saved and has chosen to call to call his own. Now, Luke is unlike most biblical authors. Why? He's a Gentile. That's us. Non-Jewish people. Gentiles. And Luke's one of the few Bible authors, book authors, that's a Gentile. And so his perspective in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, both are from a Gentile perspective to help us to identify with us, to, to help us know that God includes us, which we will see in the book of Acts, that God includes us in his kingdom economy, in his kingdom agenda. Now, who is this guy, Luke? Well, let me tell you this. As scholars who are scholars of the Greek, which I'm not, I tell you how to cheat and look it up online, okay? But scholars agree that this book is written in what's called Koine Greek or Common Greek. And this book is written by a sophisticated individual, an educated individual. He's more educated than most of the authors. When Peter writes a book, it sounds like something I would write, okay? Just a fisherman, average guy. When Luke writes, it's sophisticated. They say in, his, in the Greek, his, his vocabulary is, is hundreds of words broader than some of the other authors. He's a bright guy. He's a doctor, Dr. Luke. He's a physician. He's educated. He's prominent. He's a brilliant man. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, it refers to Jesus, excuse me, it refers to Luke as the physician, as the doctor. So as a doctor, 
He observed things. He thought things through. He, he would research things. He would dive in a little bit deeper so he could understand the complexity of what it is he was looking at. Another one of the commentaries that I got was David Jeremiah. Most of us are familiar with him, very credible. This is what he says about the writing of Luke. It says his research would no doubt include a physician's approach to discovery. Uh, he would ask questions. He would take notes. He would examine in evidences. He would diagnose problems, and he would prescribe remedies. And so his gospel account is, is broad. It's deep, and it's rich, but it's not always in the gospel. It's not always an eyewitness account. You see, he's recording historical events. He, he is writing what other people have confirmed to be true about this man Jesus. Some of the things he writes are eyewitness. But most of what he writes in Luke, he's gathered from research. On the other hand, when he writes the book of Acts, he's right there. He's walking in it. He's recording, for the most part, eyewitness account of everything that happened in the life of the early church. And so, something, though, happened. You see, Luke started as a researcher, as a historian, as a doctor, as a recorder of evidence something happened you see while he was investigating the life of Jesus and ultimately the life of Jesus through the church after his ascension something happened what began as inquisitive all of a sudden became intimate what began as Jesus as a distance an impressive human being became the God of the universe in the flesh who came to live inside of him and I want you to know something if you don't get anything else out of this book, I want you to know God's goal for your life is that rather than coming on Sunday to investigate what's happening at the church, rather than reading your Bible to learn something in your gray matter upstairs, God wants to reach into the depth of your soul and introduce himself to you in a real and personal way. Because when that happens, everything changes. He flips everything upside down. You see, Luke had a prominent position as a successful and brilliant physician. And he would walk away from it so he could just record what Jesus was about in the church. You see, when you meet Jesus in a real and personal way, it doesn't mean you have to walk away from everything you do. But it means everything you, you do begins to point to Jesus. It changes. It changes our approach to living. It, it changes our approach to everything. And we have to get to that place. Luke didn't know 2,000 years ago that by traveling around for about 30 years with this ragtag group of disciples of Jesus, he didn't know that what he was pinning on paper 2,000 years later would be studied and preached and read somewhere around the world every single day. He didn't know that. He couldn't have known that. He didn't know how significant it was. He just knew how significant he was. And I want you to know, sometimes we don't consider the value of just simple obedience in our life. We just do what God tells us to do. We don't ask any questions. We don't wonder what's going to happen in the future. We just step into it obediently one day at a time. Let God work it out. And you never know how God may be using you in a much bigger way than you realize because of your simple obedience. That's what Luke did. 
And, and today we're here to talk about it. Now, often we fail to realize that intellect, apologetics, debate, badgering, beating somebody over the head, we fail to realize that's not what changes lives. It won't change lives. It doesn't matter how bright you are. It doesn't matter how articulate you are. You will never really change somebody from the inside out. But if you can point people to Jesus, he reaches into the core and he changes people from the inside out. I know some of you have children who are wayward. Some of you have a spouse who's wayward. Some of you are wayward yourself. And it doesn't matter how much preaching you hear, how much Bible you read, how much you share with others, it just doesn't seem to have an impact. Listen, you can't change people, but Jesus does. And that's what Dr. Luke is all about. Dr. Luke is about writing a story, a historical narrative that will help you and help me and people to come understand the significance of this individual whose name just happened to be Jesus. So, so that's what we're going to learn in Acts. Now, let's unpack a little bit the prelude to Acts, which is number four, which is the book of Luke. Volume one, as I mentioned, is about the life and the words of Jesus while he was on this earth. It wasn't an easy task, but what he wrote is, is incredible in just the chapters that he wrote to, to really sum up the nature of who Jesus was. It, it begins with his virgin birth. Here's a doctor, okay, a physician, and all of a sudden there's a baby on the planet who doesn't have an earthly father for conception, or so the story goes. He's already set back. He's like, yeah, I'm already, I'm gonna write this down. That's what everybody says, and it's confirmed. There's a lot of witnesses that that's true, but already you know he's questioning. But then it goes on from that. <clears throat> Not much mentioned in Luke or any of the other gospels between his birth until he gets about 12 years old. And then he gets about 12 years old. He travels to Jerusalem for a festival with his parents. And parents of the year forget Jesus and leave him at the temple. Three days later, you thought you messed up. They walk three days later, where's the boy? Thought you had him. And Mary said, you know that's your responsibility. To which he said, yeah, I know. And so they go back and Jesus is teaching in the temple as a little boy. And he is confounding the sages of scripture. He, he's blowing them away with all that he knows. And then we don't hear much about him after that. And then out of the shadows emerges a grown man about 30 years old. Luke's writing all of this. And as a 30-year-old man, he emerges and his ministry is about to begin. He's led a perfect life. And then all of a sudden, he sees John the Baptist, his cousin, baptizing in the Jordan. Luke talks about it, that Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. John says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Jesus says, I don't care, you're supposed to. John said, okay, I will. And so he puts them in the water, and Luke, in his research, <clears throat> describes what happened. And what happened was something that doesn't happen a lot. Jesus is immersed in the water. Jesus comes up. The Holy Spirit descends. God the Father speaks. The triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, are there all at one place. 
The Bible in Luke talks about that now Jesus was led straightway into the wilderness where he would be tempted by Satan himself and he defeated all three categories of sin from the book of Deuteronomy. That's a miracle all by itself. Now, he comes out of the wilderness and he begins to perform miracles. He turns water into wine. He heals the crippled people. He gives hearing to the deaf people. He gives sight to the blind people. He delivers people who are possessed of demons. Luke writes every bit of that. And in the middle of his writing, all of this amazing narrative about this incredible human being who is actually a God-man, the religious people don't get it. So what do they do? They falsely accuse him. Luke writes about it. They mock him, they strike him, they crown him, they crucify him, and they bury him. But something happens. This is no ordinary man. On the third day, this three-day dead man did something that dead people don't do. He got up. Now, Luke is a physician, has seen people die, no doubt. Luke knows what to expect from a three-day dead man. You know what it is? Nothing. That's what three-day dead people do, nothing. They deteriorate, not this one. This one got up. Now, now in the prequel in Luke, he describes every bit of this in detail, sophisticated detail. He wants everybody to know that something is different about this man. But at the end of his prequel, volume one, He writes this incredible story, this incredible historical fact in the story that this man who was three days dead walked around for 40 days giving infallible proof that he was alive. And if that's not weird enough, then he gets on a cloud and he goes to heaven. Now here's here's a doctor, a brilliant man who researches and records facts. And he puts that Jesus got on a cloud and he went back to heaven. Now, he should be finished. He's written his book, right? He's written volume one. You can't stop writing if the man you're writing about just got on a cloud and floated away. You're just getting started. And so he's finished with his prequel. And now he's got to write something else. And that's why we have Acts. Now, number five, so what is the subject of the book of Acts? We know some stuff about it. What's the main subject? Are you ready? Mission. Everybody say mission. You see, encapsulated in the word mission is the title of the series, Can I Get a Witness? Witnessing is what the mission is. The mission, sometimes we get sideways. We, we want to help people. Uh, we give food to the hungry. Uh, We give food and showers to the homeless. Uh, We build churches and ramps and help people out with things. And that's all great. That's all great. But that's not the mission. Those are good deeds pointing to the life of Jesus in us. But the mission is not that. The mission is witnessing the reality that God came to this earth in the form of a man named Jesus who died in our, on a cross in our place to pay our sin debt and rose from the dead on the third day. That's the mission, to share that reality to the world. So how would Luke understand the mission and start writing about the mission? He's, he's researched. He knows about the life of Jesus. What about what's next? Where will he get his information about the mission? 
for his sequel. No better place than to travel with the Apostle Paul. Greatest missionary other than Jesus who's ever walked on the planet is a guy named Saul who met Jesus. Jesus blinded him. Jesus trained him. Jesus spoke his Holy Spirit into him. Changed his name from Saul to Paul. Wrote a big part of the New Testament. Greatest test, greatest missionary who's ever walked on the planet. Died living out, fulfilling the mission. Luke would travel with him. That's why he knows so much about the church. That's why he knows so much about what's next in the life of Jesus from heaven. Through the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. And so Dr. Luke would write volume number two. And, and Luke, uh, it's incredible when you read Luke, excuse me, when you read Acts, the first 15 chapters, Luke's not really in the game yet. He's a writer. He's a researcher. He's a doctor with a mission, writing the story of the mission of the church. And he uses pronouns about what's happening in the church and what's happening in the believers, the followers of Jesus. And he refers to them using the pronouns them and they. But something happens in verse 16, and he changes the pronouns. When changing pronouns was not stupid, he changed the pronouns, and he said, now it's we and us. Now it's we and us. Why? Because no longer is he sitting on the bench watching the church. Now he just called up off the bench. The coach called him in the game. He had an encounter with Jesus that was real from the inside out. He's no longer content to talk about what Jesus is doing in somebody else's life. Oh, let's applaud what the Holy Spirit's doing in somebody else's life. It's no longer good enough. He wants in the game. And he gets in the game. And now he's part of this church that the Holy Spirit is spreading the gospel around the world through. I want you to know something. Luke's not the exception to the rule for calling. God wants you in the game. And for a long time, a lot of people are really good at sitting in the stands and being excited about what God is doing in other people. And I want you to know today, God wants to do great things through you. It's the truth. It's the truth. Doesn't matter your education, your background. Doesn't matter. God, you, God created you to use you in a special and particular way to proclaim the reality, the good news of Jesus in this world that is des in desperate need of good news. Amen? So, now Luke is in the game. Number six. The phenomenons of Acts. The phenomenons of Acts. We're going to encounter things in Acts that we haven't seen before in the Bible. We're going to encounter things in Acts that we really don't understand today 2,000 years ago. We're going to encounter things in Acts that are controversial. We're going to encounter things in, in, that, in Acts that, are, that bring disharmony and disunity. We're going to encounter things in Acts that churches and denominations have divided over. We're going to encounter things in Acts that are a little bit creepy and a little bit of unknowns connected to them, and we're a little bit uncomfortable when we talk about them. What are some of those things? The person of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the return of Jesus to this earth, the response that we should have to the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders and miracles, church growth and numerical values, living as a light in a dark world every day, sharing our personal testimony, 
persecution in our life if we're really living in our faith? What is the missionary lifestyle? Where is the missionary location? What about our old traditions of days gone by? All of them create controversy, confusion, and disunity. And we're going to jump in with both feet. How's that? Are you ready? Are you ready? Now, when I say things like the Holy Spirit, some of y'all, I mean, we're, we are totally comfortable with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Okay? But when, when, when the preacher says the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, <laughs> you know, immediately you think about, you know, that I'm supposed to wear a solid white suit, you know, and Kendra's supposed to have makeup running off her face. And I'm going to run out here and wave a, wave a towel over you with my sweat on it. You're going to fall out on the floor. I don't know. They didn't come up with that in the Bible. I don't, I, I don't, they didn't come up with that in the Bible. Or we're all going to dance around on one foot like Chuck Berry and speak in some foreign language. No, no, no we're not going to do that. Now, if the Holy Spirit decides to do that, we're all in trouble. Okay, because I didn't see it coming and you won't either. Okay. But sometimes we think the Holy Spirit is like that crazy ant that shows up at Thanksgiving. We don't know what to expect. Some people are glad that she showed up. Some, I wish she'd have stayed at the house. Okay. And in the Baptist church, when the preacher talks about the Holy Spirit, we get a little uncomfortable. Okay. Just be honest about it. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. I want you to know something. Churches are real good about giving God the Father a lot of airtime. They're real good about giving Jesus Christ a lot of airtime. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, sometimes, shh, it's the Trinity. They're three parts. They deserve three equal airtime, right? So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to come and, and, and learn. And learn what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what it doesn't mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Learn who the Holy Spirit is. Learn what the Holy Spirit wants from you. Learn how the Holy Spirit wants to empower you. Learn why often when we give our witness, there's no result. Learn why in our life often we cannot gain victory over sin in our life. And the reason is simple. We're not doing what they did in Acts. We're walking often in the flesh and not in the Spirit. Number seven, the application of Acts. The application of Acts. When we read this book, I want you to know that there's parts of it that are directly applicable in our life. There's parts of it that may not be directly applicable in our life. What do I mean? There's a word in, when you study the Bible called dispensationalism. A dispensation is a season or time. And, and so we believe in dispensationalism. And what does that mean? It means God is not required to do the same thing tomorrow that he did yesterday. God is not required uh, to do the same thing all the time. What do I mean? When the first time the world was, was so bad that the intentions of their heart was evil continuously. That's what it says about the people in the days of Noah. What did God do? He flooded the globe. Now, he's not going to flood the, the, the globe again. He told us. He put a rainbow up there. I'm not going to do it that way. He's not required to do that anymore. In the Old Testament, they would take an animal, cut its throat, let it bleed, burn it as an offering, a sin offering to atone for their sins. We don't do that anymore. Jesus has fulfilled that. You see, there's things that happen over time that God's not required by any stretch of the imagination to do it again in the future. But there's some things that God continues to do throughout all of time. Now, di discerning which ones are which is where it gets interesting. You see, when you read the Bible, there's two other words I want you to be familiar with. One is the word descriptive, and one is the word prescriptive. Descriptive means 
God's word is describing what God did in certain people in certain times. Prescriptive means that God has written that as a prescription for our life. That we are to act and do and expect that same thing, apply it to our life and expect God to use it in that way. There's both in the Bible. Wow, how do we know the difference? It's difficult sometimes. And so we pray, we have the Holy Spirit to lead us. We look at the full counsel of God and we discern and we develop what's called doctrines in the church. An understanding of what dispensation we were in. And by the way, what dispensation are we in? We're in the church age. We're in the age between the ascension of Jesus back to heaven with the Father and Jesus Jesus' second coming to this earth first to stop in the air, to gather his church, to go back and fully then come to the earth the second time with the church to do battle and then a millennial reign. Okay, that's the, that's the season we are in. Now, understanding that is, in, is important because when we read God's word, it's written in all these different literary genres, right? You got poetry, you got wisdom, you got history, you got law, you got uh, epistles, you've got prophecy, you've got proverbs, poetry, songs, all of these genres. So how do we know? Because what happened 2,000 years ago in the early church when it was birthed is how we know. And he's called the Holy Spirit of God. He comes to indwell us. He seals us with the promise. He indwells our life. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. And when the Holy Spirit lives in us, when we read the Bible, he tells us, he gives us instruction about how we, how we rightly divide the word of truth, which is what Timothy said we're supposed to do. Now, all of God's word is beneficial for us. All of it, okay? Every, Jesus said not one jot or tittle will go unfulfilled. That means a punctuation mark. Every bit of it is, is, is beneficial. But some of it we are supposed to apply to our life and other parts we're to learn from it. And so what happens if we're not careful we begin to pit ourselves in different camps about how we feel about it and throw rocks at other people who feel differently who are on the same, we're all on, t- on team Jesus. But because we differ on some of these things, we end up thinking, well, that's a bunch of crazies over there or that's a bunch of, you know, no Holy Spirit filled people over there. And, and, and we think less of people who are our spiritual family. And we have to be careful of that. So what does that look like? Okay, if we read the book of Acts and we say, you know what? I believe that that was the dispensation. Everything that happened in Acts was to authenticate the apostles' ministry, okay? In other words, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the speaking in tongues, the numerical growth, all of that stuff was given only to authenticate that the apostles were used by God in a powerful way to launch the church. And when the apostles all died, either of natural cause or of martyrdom or murder for their faith, then all of that stuff went away. We can read it. We can learn how the church got here, but none of that's for us. That would be called cessationalism, meaning we believe they ceased to exist. On the other hand, we we swing the pendulum to the other side and we say, oh, no, everything in Acts is for us. Everything is is for us. In other words, we're supposed to have signs and wonders. We're supposed to have miracles. We're supposed to have speaking in tongues, and then it swings further. In fact, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not really saved because you're not filled with the Spirit. If you're not filled with the Spirit, you're not born again. And so if you can't speak in tongues, you're not saved. doesn't say that, but that's where it goes. Or all of a sudden, it's not uh, just the Holy Spirit. 
it's, it's not just the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of prosperity. It's the Holy Spirit of tongues and miracles. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit of other things. And, and so what's the problem with those two camps? Here it is. If we put ourselves in one of those camps, on one side, we deny the power of the Holy Spirit in our life and in the life of the church. And on the other side, we proclaim sovereignty over the Holy Spirit and we expect the Holy Spirit to be our genie in a bottle to do our beck and call. And both of those are wrong. And as pastor, as leader, as long as the Lord lets me, we want to be right here. We want all of the Holy Spirit he wants to give us, not any that we want to claim on our own. We want the Holy Spirit to do all he wants to do in our life, nothing that we want him to do, okay? And at the same time, if the Holy Spirit never gives me the gift of tongues, that's okay too. If the Holy Spirit in here never speaks in one foreign language, that's okay too because he's the Holy Spirit. He's God, and he should be free to do what he wants to do. Now, right now, some of y'all are puckered up scared. You're like, Where, where's this church going? We're going to the Bible, okay? We're going to study the Bible, and we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn about these things that people often get so sideways over. Fair enough? Number eight, who's the audience? Who's he writing to? Dr. Luke writes two books, the gospel according to Luke and the actions of the apostles. He tells us in verse 1 of Acts 1. He says, I wrote the former account, O Theophilus. He's writing to Theophilus. What do we know about Theophilus? He's obviously the second child because the second child is always Theophilus. If it was the first child, it would have been the bestest. If it was the last child, it would have been the spoiledest. But he's writing to Theophilus. Okay, that would be me. All right? Now, that's not actually it. If you look at this word in the Greek, you see the first part of that, Theo? Theo is God. And, and uh, Phylus is, gets its, its derivative from the word phileo, which is love. Phileo is like brotherly love, which is funny, that word. And you go to Philadelphia, that's the city of brotherly love. You got one of the highest murder capitas in the world. <laughs> Brotherly love. <laughs> you know. So, so, so you got friend of God. He's writing to a guy whose name is friend of God. So some people want to believe and suggest that the reason the person he's writing to is the friend, has the name friend of God is because in the future, until Jesus returns, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are written to anybody who considers himself a friend of God. But in reality, he's a man. Now, this is kind of cool. I didn't know this. Theophilus was apparently a wealthy individual, very prestigious, and, 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 and had a, a big uh, influence, maybe a big company that provided wealth. And when somebody in that day had a lot of wealth and influence, often they would have a personal physician that was on their payroll, and would live in the, in the community where he lived. And so he was like on call 24-7. You know, if you're, and, and if you're rich and you got a doctor on, that's like Michael Jackson or Elvis, right? Okay. So Theophilus had this doctor on his payroll. And so somewhere along the line, this guy named Theophilus, who was, knew about God, he was, has some level of religion in his life, he sees what's going on by this guy named Jesus, all right? And so he has his intelligent physician 
who is educated and knowledgeable and, and, and knows the languages. He says, I want you to go investigate this guy. There's something different that I'm hearing about this guy that I hadn't heard about anybody else. And I've got influence and I've got wealth, but there's something different about this guy. And so Luke goes and he researches this man named Jesus. And his job is to give Theophilus a, a book to describe this man, man, Jesus. And so he's on payroll. Theophilus, historians say Theophilus funded his mission trip for the next 30 years. And so after he finishes this book, Luke tells Theophilus, he says, listen, it's not over yet. This thing is bigger than you know. And I'd like to stay on and write what happens next. Theophilus says, you stay. Tell me what you need. I'll help you. And so he writes these books to a man named Theophilus. Now he goes on in Acts 1, and he says, this is what he wrote to Theophilus. He says, Theophilus, I wrote the first book about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he says, I wrote you the first book about Jesus' birth to Jesus' ascension back to heaven. And now he's going to write him another book. Number nine. So what's the motivation for writing Theophilus another book? It's found in verse three. And he says, the same apostles also after the suffering of Jesus, Jesus presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. And he was seen by them over a 40-day period. And he spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. Theophilus says, as great as that first book was, Tyler, the greatest the first one was, the sequel's better. He says, what's getting ready to happen is bigger than the first one. Because Jesus, although he's not with us, he's still alive. And he, this three-day dead man walked around for 40 days and he showed himself to people. And he did miracles, convincing proofs, infallible proofs. Not something in the darkness or in the shadows. This was wide open. He did it in the daytime. He did it in front of witnesses. Like what? What were convincing proofs? A couple examples. The disciples, they don't know what they're supposed to do next. And Jesus had told them, you know, he says, he told them everything is going to happen. So they go up this room. Jesus is dead. Jesus comes back to life. He goes up to the upper room where they're praying. The door's locked and Jesus shows up in the room. He went through the wall. Sounds more like the matrix, okay? He went through the wall. While he goes through the wall, he's right there with his disciples, and he says, hey, it's me. And they ate together. They talked. Thomas shows up. I don't believe, unless I, unless I touch his scars. Jesus says, come on over here, and he touched his scars. You keep reading, and ultimately Jesus gets on a cloud and ascends to heaven. Jesus showed us not what life in the flesh looks like only. He showed us what we got to look forward to. You see, when Jesus got up out of that grave, he had a glorified body. A glorified body that one day you and I will have. It's not bound by atomic structure. I just walked through this table. If I tried that right now, I'd be down for six months. Jesus just walked right through it. He's not bound by that. When the game's over, he, ju he, he just, I'm going back to heaven. I mean, that's, that's what we have to look forward to, church. It's exciting. 
He showed us that. He promised that. We read about it in Scripture. And so his motivation is that Jesus hung around and did amazing things. Listen to what it says in John 1.1. This is John speaking. And he says, this is what we proclaim to you. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we looked at, our hands have touched. He says, and the life was revealed and we have seen and testify and announced to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and what we have heard, he says, I'm, I'll tell you again in case you missed it the first time. We announce to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This Thus we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. They don't just talk about something. They touched him. They listened to him. They saw him. They ate with him. Many convincing and infallible proofs. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, chapter 15. He says, for I passed on to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture, and that then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some of them have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he appeared, though to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Infallible, convincing proofs. 40 days, Jesus walked around resurrected, talking, ministering, and loving on people. He's alive. And then he went back to heaven. And so, so why are we still here? Why are we in this building as believers for the most part? People who have given our sinful self to the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice on a cross. 2,000 years later. Why is that? Because something happened. Something happened greater than just a bunch of ragtag guys and ladies walking the streets telling people about Jesus. It's the power that we get from Acts. Verse 4, Jesus said while he was, it says, while Jesus was with them, he declared, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Everybody say, wait. Wait there for what my father promised which you heard about me. These are the worst words anybody ever wants to hear. Wait. I got something big in store, but just wait right there for a minute. Pause. I believe today that the Holy Spirit would love to empower us to do great things for the kingdom, but he can't catch us because we will not stop moving because we're so stinking busy. We're running from one thing to the next. And the Holy Spirit, I believe Jesus is saying, hey, time out. Time out, just, just for a minute. Find you a place in your 24-hour allotted day and put the brakes on 
and kind of find a place. It can be the same place every day where there's no interruptions. Just leave the phone down. Don't check your emails. Don't do any of that stuff. Your social, leave it alone. Find you a space. Start out with 10 minutes. Maybe it's a half hour. Find you a place and wait. And in that moment of waiting, you don't, the expectation can be so simple. God, I don't know what I'm waiting for. I don't know what to expect, but I'm going to give you this pause. I'm going to give you this little margin in my life. And if you want to speak to me or do something in my life, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to wait and ponder what you might do. And I believe God will do great things in our lives. You know who that, I just said that. You know who I was talking to? Me. <laughs> you just heard me having a little conversation with myself, okay? Now, if that applies to you, maybe you wait. Maybe all of y'all are waiting. You got that season. Oh, I got two hours. I'm waiting every day. Yeah, that'd be a lie, but you can believe that if you want to, okay? He says, wait. Why? Because I promised something to you. Now, we're going to talk about in the next few weeks what it means for the Spirit to be with us, what it means for the Spirit to be in us, and what it means for the Spirit to be upon us. Three different prepositions we're going to learn in the next few weeks. And I'm excited about the Lord's church. I'm excited that I get to preach and shepherd and lead this church. I'm excited about what he does. And I love when I love when I go down the church of God down here and the parking lot's full. I stopped one day and told the preacher, man, I'm just excited. I don't even know what's going on in here, but I'm excited for you. I'm excited about the Lord's church, but I'm excited about this one, okay? And I'm excited about what God's going to do moving forward. I really am. Y'all look good today. I'm telling you. Y'all look good. But I believe he's just beginning what he wants to do. Because I think he's preparing the way for Jesus' return. And we're going to talk about that too. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know what I'm talking about. It may be foreign language to you. That's because Jesus is not in your life yet. You may have a head knowledge about Jesus. You may have knowledge about Scripture. You may have knowledge about His church. But I want you to know today, just like Dr. Luke, it takes more than, than inquisition. takes more than just research. It takes a personal encounter with Jesus to turn your life right side up. And if you've never done that, I want to challenge and encourage you just to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you feel like He's inviting you into His forever family and He wants you to come to Him in a personal way, You just simply give yourself to him with all your mistakes, all your mess-ups, all your troubles. Don't try to fix yourself and clean yourself up. That's his job. You can't do it. Look at you. You haven't had any luck yet. So just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I'm not with you. I'm of my father, the devil. That's what you said because I'm not your child yet. But I feel your invitation into your family. I feel like you're inviting me today to be adopted into your kingdom. So I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to exchange all of my mess for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I want you to use me in a powerful way moving forward. I want to live for you. I want to spend eternity with you. I want to know intimately this thing that I have a knowledge about. Save me today. And he will because that's what he does. Most of us in here this room, we've made that decision public. But we're missing out on something. There's something that we're, we're not having the victory. We're not experiencing that, that 
vibrancy that we had maybe in the moment that we met Jesus, it's our opportunity to come afresh and say, God, I have squandered your gift of salvation in my life. And I want a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Help me live for you. Help me get the victory back. Help me walk with you closer tomorrow than I did even today. God, I thank you for this amazing book that Dr. Luke wrote to Theophilus because you told him through the Holy Spirit to write it. I thank you that the words that were written 2,000 years ago were pointed forward to this very day. I thank you, God, that those early followers of Jesus took took your message to the uttermost parts of the world, and that is where we are. So now, God, help us be faithful in taking your message and your your mission to the other parts of our world. We give you praise and glory for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.